you know, we make fun of Texas on this show, but they are very generous towards people with disabilities. For example, their governor, Greg Abbott, is confined to a wheelchair after a tree branch snapped, landed on his back in the mid-80s. And despite refusing to enforce the Americans with Disabilities Act while he was attorney general of Texas, he was still able to collect millions of dollars from the owner of that tree, even though he has since dedicated much of his political career towards tort reform and capping the kind of settlements he received to about $250,000. In other words, he collected millions of dollars on his settlement and then after he got his settlement, he's made it impossible for anyone else to get that kind of settlement again. And that says a lot about Texas's character. They elected him governor. They're very understanding and supportive of people with disabilities. And now it turns out Texas has a speaker. His name is Dade Phelan. He's a Republican from Beaumont, Texas. And apparently, Speaker Dade Phelan, Republican of Texas, apparently he suffered a massive stroke last week. But the people of Texas couldn't be more supportive of the man. I think this is great. You have a governor in a wheelchair, and now you have a, a, the Speaker of the Texas House had a massive stroke, and he's still showing up to work each day, and nobody questions him. Here is Texas Speaker Dade Phelan. Last Friday night, toiling away, working for the people, not letting a massive stroke stop him from doing the people's business, the people's business of Texas, like persecuting the LGBTQ community and making sure everyone has an assault weapon. Mr. Speaker, I'll move adoption. Mr. Campbell, send out a amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? And the chair has done the members adopted. The chair recognizes Mr. Mr. Johnson of Harris. Mr. Johnson of Harris to speak in opposition to the bill. The chair recognizes Ms. Niave Criado to speak in opposition to the bill. Isn't that great? I mean, you know, I'm sorry this man had a stroke, but he's an, an inspiration to all of us. The Speaker of Texas has a massive stroke and just gets right up there and keeps working. Mr. Campbell, send out an amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? And the chair has done the amendment is adopted. Excuse me, what? Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't a massive stroke. Texas Speaker Dade Phelan was shit-faced. My mistakes. Well, send out an amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? That's too bad. I thought it was a massive stroke. And I was proud of the guy. Turns out he's just an alcoholic. Well, it's too bad. And Ken Paxton, the attorney general, the chief law enforcement officer of the state, he saw the speaker, the Texas speaker, trying to speak, the, the slurrer of the House of Texas. Uh, that's Ken Paxton. And he's the attorney general of Texas, the chief law enforcement officer of the, the state. And, and he saw that the speaker was drunk and immediately called for him to resign. Uh, Ken Paxton said that the speaker was embarrassing the state of Texas 
And given that Texas keeps reelecting Ted Cruz, you know, that state doesn't embarrass easy. But you know what? Maybe Ken Paxton shouldn't have said anything. The attorney general should have kept his mouth shut because on Thursday, a Republican led committee in the House that's run by the shit faced Dade Phelan, the speaker, miraculously, I just a coincidence, Ken Paxton calls for the speaker to resign. And then all of a sudden, one of the speaker's committees recommends that Attorney General Ken Paxton be impeached. Now, we've all known about Ken Paxton for at least 10 years, right? Why is he all of a sudden impeachable? Because their dipsomaniac of a speaker is in charge. And he said, nobody calls me an alcoholic. Impeach the guy. Uh, I think that's what he said. What he said was this. Well, the Senate amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? I think in drunkies that means impeach Ken Paxton for calling me a uh, a drunk. Uh, can you imagine wanting to impeach an attorney general just because he calls you a drunk? Well, actually, Ken Paxton, well, he was indicted back in 2015 on charges of securities fraud and failing to register with the state securities board while serving as a state legislator in Texas. He was selling investments and lying to potential investors, and he was indicted. Somehow the trial has yet to take place. There's another indictment. And in back, back in February of this year, the attorney general, who was indicted in 2015, the attorney general agreed to pay Deputies working underneath him inside the attorney general's office, he agreed to pay them $3.3 million and apologize. He apologized for his retaliation. He apologized because he retaliated right after these four lawyers working in the Texas State Justice Department accused him of committing several crimes. So the attorney general doesn't like being called a criminal so he retaliated and then they sued and the attorney general settled, agreed to apologize to them and paid them $3.3 million. Well, actually, it didn't come out of his pocket. The state of Texas is giving his four deputies the $3.3 million. So to be clear here, Ken Paxton, the attorney general of Texas, had people working underneath him. And they were paid to prosecute criminals. But when these four deputies discovered that the guy they were working for might be a criminal, they spoke up and he retaliated Four senior staffers working underneath Attorney General Ken Paxson of Texas will now split the three point three million. They already received an apology from Ken Paxson, the attorney general. And as I said, three point three million dollars isn't coming out of Ken Paxton's pocket. The state of Texas is paying those fines. It's great to be a white man in Texas, isn't it? Indicted in 2015, still no trial. And then on Thursday of this week, miraculously, for some reason, the Texas House filed 20 charges of impeachment against Ken Paxton, attorney general, one of those charges is bribery. Uh, I don't understand what we've known this man was a criminal since 2015. And yet the Texas House 
did nothing. Maybe the speaker, can you explain why, uh, Speaker Phelan, can you explain why the House waited so long? Well, the Senate amendment, the amendment is acceptable to the author. Is there objection to the opposite amendment? Ah, okay, thank you for explaining that to us, Speaker Phelan of Beaumont, Texas. What a great state Texas is. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Recording on to the cloud. We're up in the cloud with the Hirschenfelds. Dr. Philip Hirschenfeld is a Freudian psychoanalyst. He is the real deal. Ethan Hirschenfeld is not, but he gives pretty good advice. <laughs> it may be a lot less expensive to see Ethan Hirschenfeld and read his book, Today Is Now. Hello. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cheaper. It's also, there's an advantage not to, no shade uh, at the doctor, the real doctor, Philip Hirschenfeld, who's a real pro and a veteran. But with me, the advantage is, when you get when when you're you're working with someone like him, there's a lot of pressure because you know what he's saying carries a lot of weight. So you feel a lot, a lot a lot of pressure to really listen. With me, it's way more chill. It's just very relaxed. You know, I'm just making it up on the fly, and that can really free you up to maybe think of some things you wouldn't have thought of when you thought, "Oh my God, this is really costing me money," and this is this is the real deal. And, so, and maybe real truths can be told to a patient if the doctor is a fraud. I understand what you're saying, that there are things that yeah. you can say that actually yeah. carry more weight than a, a, a real doctor. Yeah, and also my hands are tied by, by notions like medical ethics. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a freer conversation. <laughs> professional standards these things don't apply it's just you know anything goes which, okay you know has, has its advantage real time he, he is not a fraud i object to the use of that word he is just i'm not a fraud but i'm fraudian <laughs> sigmund fraud you're a sigmund fraud he's an alternative type of Therapist. No, no, we've been doing. <laughs> that's a great introduction. That okay. that that you're a Freudian psychoanalyst, and Ethan is a Freudian. So you've been doing this show for I don't know three, four years. Three years. Three yes. years. Three years. Three years. And I, I feel I'm making headway. I've asked this question once a year. I'm going to ask it again. If Dr. Hirsch, real Dr. Hirschenfeld, how many sessions could phony Dr. Hirschenfeld do before he was found out? Um, it's Dr. Benjamin. Let's, let's Dr. Benjamin, term. your alter right. ego author of Today Is Now. Let me guess. I think, honestly, as someone who is the beneficiary of decades of this kind of therapy, some kind of therapy. If Ethan told me he was a doctor, uh, I think I would 
I don't think I'd ever find out that he isn't. I, I completely agree. Because I'm stupid or because he's good? <laughs> no, because uh, neither. Because of the ubiquitous issue of transference. You walk into somebody's office, he's the authority, and then you just play out your typical um, lifelong experience and re reaction to authority figures. Now, so I'm not sure you'd ever figure anything out, even if he did things that were ridiculous. I, I was talking to somebody just this week, not a patient, um, but this person said that she had first started out in therapy with a Jungian analyst. And this Jungian analyst kept talking about these archetypes. They have some kind, I, I don't know what it's about, but something in their theory. So he was talking about archetypes and archetypes. And after a while, she said, this doesn't apply to me in any which way. But at the same time, it was very hard for her to break it off because, um, because of her transference to authority figures. But then an excuse um, appeared, namely that her significant other was moving to another city. So she said, I'm sorry, doctor, you've been great, but uh, I got to move on. So there's an example of, of, of how transference, now, now in this case, she eventually figured out that this was not her cup of tea and, mm -hmm. and apply to her in any way, but sometimes it doesn't. So it's the placebo effect in, in many ways, but how long does a placebo last, Ethan Hershenfeld? If it lasts more than 72 hours, you should call your doctor. <laughs> A real one or a fake one? Now, um, I have an idea for a, a, a series starring Ethan. Okay. Great, let's do it. It's let's based on, it. It, well, it's kind of like Mad Men, where Donald Draper steals the identity of his commanding officer in Korea who dies, and he's living a fake life. He's not who he says he is. What if Ethan Hershenfeld just starts giving advice in New York City, and people come over, and then you put up a sign and a diploma, and people start thinking you're a psychiatrist. No good? Well, as an no, idea no, no, for no. a sitcom. Need, yeah, no, no, no. The sitcom idea I like. I, I actually, it's a funny thing with any of these uh, mockumentaries. I know that they're like with Borat and with certain um, versions of this kind of comedy, part of the fun is the tricking of people. And sometimes it's a hybrid. Some of the people are in on the joke and some aren't. But it always makes me uneasy. I certainly, uh, with the Dr. Benjamin movie, which is nearing completion, um, that was important to me not to ever engage in any actual trying to fake anybody out. Right, but I'm um, talking about an actual scripted sitcom. 
Yeah, I like it. Where you know like you're it. married, yeah. the wife doesn't know that you're not really a psychiatrist. You're a respected right. member of the community. <laughs> you're testifying before Congress. You're a hit. There's only one yeah, little. But to continue with the Don Draper example. I think he'll have to kill me off first <laughs> before he can assume this uh, identity. Now that's that's I like. Yes, that's very oh, edible, right? I love that. A too edible. A little too edible. Okay. I can tell yeah. Ethan is thinking of something. What no, do you no, no. Th- I'm just I'm having allergies. I don't know what's going on with me when I when we start the podcast. I get allergies. It does seem something. It's not psychosomatic. It's it's pollen. It's simply pollen, but it the timing is suspicious. Yes, it is. I think I think David is a form of pollen. <laughs> Go on with that. Am I a busy bee? Do you think it's what do you? Well, Feld well, Feld is a field. So Feld, mm-hmm. so the field might be right. giving off some pollen of some kind. Right. There so you you're about to perform. Yeah, so this is, I should plug this. This is um, this is a place called Jill Lindsay. It's a, it's a nice shop here on Myrtle Avenue in Fort Greene. They have a beautiful backyard, and my friend Sarah Nedwick, for a few years, has been doing a salon. It's called the Starlit Salon. Starts tonight at 7.30. She does it every month. It involves some comedy. Uh, my friend Drew and his wife, Michaela, did some clowning there last time. So uh, tonight it's going to be comedy, some storytelling, and some music. I'm going to be doing some comedy um but in solidarity with the writers guild i decided it would really be inappropriate to write any jokes good so i'm just going to keep it very serious and if if there are any laughs i'm going to admonish the audience okay yeah i was watching a documentary about the making of the exorcist and it scared the be jesus out of me i hope i'm pronouncing that properly the be jesus To this day, The Exorcist still scares me. And supposedly, almost a majority of Americans believe that you can be possessed, that the devil can be... And yet, strangely, a majority of Americans don't believe that their car can be repossessed. (laughs) They don't understand the basics of loans and liens. So, go figure. So, demonic possession. I, I assume this predates the New Testament. I, neither one of you are expected to know this. But the idea that there's something inside of you that's taking over and it's been assigned a name, it's been labeled. I think Dr. Benjamin says it's important to name it, right? Name it so you can tame it. And then you can blame it. Blame it and claim it. (laughs) So, Dr. Benjamin, I was going to ask. And then, finally, you can draw a picture of it and frame it. (laughs) And put it on your wall. And then you're in total control. So I was going to ask the real doctor, but let me ask the author of Today Is Now, Dr. Benjamin. Is exorcism is demonic possession a real thing or is it naming taming and blaming well so exorcism 
it has origins that are religious, but before there were religions, there were pagan tribal beliefs, and exorcism was the whole shebang because there were no because there were no buildings yet, so you couldn't have like an ark. You couldn't. There were no books. There were no costumes. There was nothing. If you there were no like a meet and greet with cake and coffee after the services, there was absolutely nothing. There was no parking lot there was no newsletter religions had nothing all they had was demonic possession and then a guy doing a dance and helping you get into demonic possession that was it so in some ways demonic possession and exorcisms are are the are the seed of all future religions that's really where it all comes from mostly because you know there there was no architecture there was there was nowhere to hold a service and which came first, the building or the building fund? Well, that, that, uh, first it was a tent. <laughs> Before that, there was a cave fund. Yeah. So, uh, real Dr. Hirschenfeld, that makes sense to me. I don't know how much of that is true, but I think what you're unlearned colleague is saying is a lot of people were acting up they were misbehaving and some kind of religious shaman would come along and rattle some bones and say it's not you the devil made me do it it's the devil yeah and this is it it does predate formal religion it's a form of very primitive thinking, and it still exists today. Our rational thinking is a very thin layer on the top of our brain. Uh, In the deeper levels, all this mumbo-jumbo stuff is still alive and well. You know, if you walk the streets of New York, you will notice and I invite any of your listeners, if they want to come visit, I will take them on a tour. You can see this. There are chicken bones everywhere. Yeah. Why? It's not because people like to eat chicken. I, that's a little bit of the reason. The real reason is there's a lot of pagan. Santeria? Is it, is yeah. it Santeria? Santeria and other types of uh, ceremonies that still involve. The, 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 the idea is you're going to exercise the demons that are possessing you somehow through chicken. Waving waving a chicken around your head. You can do it like that. It can be with a a fried chicken, a gumbo, a vindaloo. You can, however you want, you can... Now, how do you do it? It always ends up with chicken bones on the street. That's the common thread. We have a lot of people listening to us in Australia, and explain to them which direction do you wave the chicken if you're in Australia? Would it be counterclockwise? Counterclockwise. So because they are standing on their heads. <laughs> so everything is different. I think the chicken waves the Aussie around its head to get rid of okay. demonic people. So can I give an example yes, of please. exists today? Um, in our political discourse, you're always asking me 
what I'm reading. Well, tonight I can tell you what I'm reading. I'm reading an absolutely fascinating book called The Devil and the Jews. And it's a scholarly book by a guy by the name of Trachtenberg. And it's all about how throughout the Middle Ages, like starting in the sixth century, the Jews and the devil were considered almost the same thing. The Jews were the children of the devil. They worshiped the devil. They were magicians. They learned their magic from King Solomon, who according to the legends could control all the demons. So if you think about it, it's not a very far leap from that primitive thinking to Marjorie Taylor Greene saying the fires in California were caused by Jewish space lasers. Right. I, I might have mentioned this on the show before when that, that weird story popped up a year ago, but there actually is a device. There actually is a Jewish space laser. It's a device used by real estate agents in New York to overestimate the size of one bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on your eyes to get rid of uh, nearsightedness. Right. How do we put an end to the idea that Jews are satanic? Where, where do people get... It's, it's, so you're saying it's a primitive way of thinking. It's delusional. Oh, I got to tell you this. I once... Oh, doctor, you were about to say something. Yeah, go ahead. I think I scared him. <laughs> I was once um, in 2004 or five. I was singing the role of the devil uh, in the in the opera Faust, in the mm. French version of Faust. And that same year, there were two other bass baritones who got hired to sing the same role in different places. Um, and all three of us were tall New York Jews. <laughs> and all three of us were hired to sing the devil with these opera companies. And I remember thinking, huh, this is, this mm. is curious. Yeah. But anyway. What, what happens if you think you're possessed? How do you know the difference between real possession and There's what would... no such fucking thing as real possession. Give me a break. What? What? No demons flying around us. That that but, that's Bubba Mises. Well, what about the demon rum? And <laughs> well, the demon lust. If if things are coming out of me, and I'm yeah. I'm saying horrible things that I don't normally say, right? And and doing horrible things, and I'm blaming it on something inside of me. What is not knowing anything? Would that be a type of what schizophrenia, paranoid? No, what type of hysteria? It would be hysteria. That's right. I mean, you're always saying horrible things, <laughs> but it's you who's saying it. The devil's not making you do it. Did Freud? Because what, as I understand it, Freud's worked with women who were hysterical. And men. And men. It was felt at that time that 
only women could be hysterics because Galen said that hysteria was caused by a wandering womb. So how could a man have hysteria? He doesn't have a womb. But Freud found plenty of men who were hysterics. So anyway, continue. Uh, I would assume Vienna had a huge Catholic population. Yes. So did he ever have to do deal with exorcisms or people who thought they were possessed by the demons or um I can't exactly remember such a case but for for sure he dealt with hysterical catholic women who had various beliefs yeah and and uh doctor fake doctor hershenfeld would you like to venture an uneducated guess on what Sigmund Freud would have said um, to these women? Well, I'll tell you what Dr. Benjamin might say. Um, <laughs> actually, no, what I want to say is that I like the idea of Freud being brought in to deal with uh, someone who's actually possessed as a yes. premise for a, a movie. Yes, yes. That would be a really good movie. And then it's Freud consulting with the priest. Uh-huh. And, like, and, and now they, that, te they team up. It's just in the scene, like, think of Linda Blair, and, and Freud says, well, while you're lying down, <laughs> that I've got you in that position, tell me about your mother, Satan. And he starts psychoanalyzing Satan. That would be a, at least a funny sketch for us. I think it, I think it could be a good. Uh... Are there things. OK, Satan doesn't exist. Demons don't exist. Could a psychiatrist get shaken by a patient like Linda Blair in The Exorcist? Are there things that a patient in a controlled situation where, where she's, you know, strapped to the bed, she's in a state of hysteria, and, and a, a, a real psychiatrist is brought in to deal with this teenager who thinks, who is presenting as possessed. Could, could a psychiatrist be scared by such, such a person? When I was an intern, I was working in East Flatbush in an emergency room. And a kid, I was, I won't go into details, but a kid was brought in who had been bus surfing, riding on the tops of buses. And his injuries were so horrific that the nurse I was working with later told me that I had turned absolutely white and that she was afraid I was going to faint. Mercifully, this kid died within a couple of hours. Mm. Because it was beyond any reconstruction. So there's an example. Yeah, doctors get scared by stuff like anybody else. 
would I get scared by somebody who seemed to be possessed by a demon? I don't think so. And, and, and if this person said, would, if the person said, I, there's nothing a patient could say in that state that would creep you out. I'm not talking about physical. I'm just talking about could a person in that condition say things that either upset you or scare you? Yes. Right. I don't know. I can't think of anything like what? Give me an example. I don't know. Dr. Benjamin, you make up an example. Um, Have you ever been frightened, Dr. Benjamin? What do you well, do? Dr. Benjamin, the only time he's frightened is when a client asks to see his credentials. Because <laughs> then he, he really has to scramble. Well, but, I mean, but, uh, you, but, can talk your way, you can talk your way around. How many PhDs is Dr. Benjamin working on? Well, you know, he came very... Very close in two fields. And then there were a few others with some master's degrees in process. But mainly it was two um, in comparative, not comparative literature, but another comparative discipline that I, I, I really can't discuss. Um, so what, what does he hang on the wall? Just frames? Just uh, drawings by... By kids, not his own kids, <laughs> just friends, kids, drawings. By <laughs> all of this is in the book. Today is now in our yeah, limited. The key is yeah. The key is to have a lot of books on the shelf, and then it's just if you have if you've read them, if you haven't read them, if you know how to read, if you don't know how to read, the key is just have a lot of books on the walls, and then people are are distracted into. A, a sense of being in the presence of a learned person. Books by the yard. Can yeah. I can I give you an example of when I was actually frightened? Yes. I was a first year psychiatry resident in the emergency room in Jacoby Hospital in the Bronx. Um, the the nurse at the desk says a new patient is coming in. The patient came in the room. He was very big. He was about six foot four, lots of muscles. He was a little drunk. He was very paranoid. He sat between me and the door. That's the last time I ever let, let that happen. And he was actually a drill sergeant in Paris Island. And he had a 45 in his belt and starts raving in this drunk, paranoid way about what people were doing to him through, you know, waves in the air. So, yeah, I was really scared. But that's a physical, that's, that's scare. Yeah, right. right. I, I meant more like, uh, emotionally, like being able to say something that stirs you up emotionally gets gets you uh, um, off balance. I mean, can I we, just ask about that? What that was in an ER? How did that guy have a gun in the ER? It was Jacoby long. Hospital in the Bronx. My grandmother used to go there. That was what they used to with have, a gun. They used to. Everybody's they had, grandmother went there. 
that, that was 60 years ago or 55 years ago. They didn't have guards at the doors or, or you know, any kind of surveillance stuff. And they, but this wasn't the South Bronx, but it was close to the South Bronx. Parkway. Parkway. They had metal detectors, Ethan, to make sure you were carrying a weapon. Right. This, you know that my grandmother, my father was raised on Simpson Street, right next door to Fort Apache. Yeah, that's the South Bronx. Yes. Yeah. And my grandmother in the 60s and the 70s wouldn't move because her her building was right up against Fort Apache, which was at the time the most corrupt precinct in New York City. And my and my grandmother said, this is the safest place to be. And my father explained, it is. They're so corrupt. <laughs> they're not going to they're. There's nothing more polite to an old Jewish woman than a cop on the take. So they would go out of their way to help my grandmother because they didn't want because, you know, her testimony could stick. You were going to say something, Ethan? Oh, no, I think it was Jim Norton who had a joke when you're talking about the guns and all that. I think it was his joke, but he's waiting in line at the post office. Some guy at the front loses his temper, pulls out a gun and says, come on, let's go already. And he steps out of line. and says, hey, excuse me, sir. We. We all have guns. <laughs> <laughs> We're out of time. What are you reading, Ethan? Um, nothing. I'm, I'm going to get back to it, but it's just been periodicals, The New Yorker. And, 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 and did you ever news. get your story straight? Is it is it the grandson or the nephew who you went to see graduate? Oh, right. No, we still we're still arguing about it. Was yeah. it a graduation? It was. Um, graduating from high from school? Tulane. Wow. Tulane. Wow. The, I, well, get I your say, story straight, because the real doctor says it's a grandson. You say it's a nephew. I mean. We're going we're, we're gonna to agree to disagree. Okay. I do want to just say one more thing, which was sort of a little bit of uh, poetic symmetry. Uh, years ago, um, I went with my girlfriend, we went to see Hamilton, the hit show. Um, and we both thought it was okay. We didn't go bananas about it. And we, we both, we decided that at halftime, we would go home and walk the dogs. Not that we didn't dislike the show, but we said, you know, okay, we saw it. We don't have to stick around. We'd rather go do that for, with the rest of our evening, which we did. Then the, the, the commencement speaker over the weekend was Leslie Odom Jr. who played Aaron Burr in that production. And he was in the middle of his commencement speech. And when he started telling the very relatable tale about the time when he had to choose between a contract starring in an NBC TV show or doing a Broadway show, he, so he was relating this very relatable conundrum to the graduates. I, that, that was my exit music. So, so, so that guy... You know, I all respect and props to him, but uh, you've I'm, walked out on him I'm, twice. I'm twice. two for two, two for two with that guy. Yeah. Headline before we go. Yeah. yeah. The hardest ticket in New York City is still Hamilton, I believe. Really? Wow. And you walked out on it. We we walked out. That's how much we loved our dogs. That's what that story's about. Dr. Hershenfeld, I'll give you the last word. Peace. Thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you, Hershey Fantastic. Oh, uh, peace.
Peace. Bye. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.